On today's episode of Clinically Psyched, we'll be covering some of the good and less good reasons to go into clinical psychology. We'll be touching on what a clinical psychologist does, the process of becoming a clinical psychologist, and some alternatives you may not have considered. I am so excited to get to know you guys, to interact with you, and to offer you the best advice I can. You don't have to go through this alone anymore, and I'm so happy to be able to help you on your way. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. First off, I want to thank everyone for the support the show has gotten so far. Thank you so much for sharing this podcast with others and for following us on our Twitter page at PodPsyched. Twitter generated this username for us, and honestly, it was pretty funny, so we kept it. As this is our inaugural episode, I wanted to start off with an introduction and some housekeeping. So, hi, I'm Cass. I'll be the voice keeping you company today. I currently hold a BA in psychology, completed an honors thesis, and I have applied to clinical psychology and counseling three times, including this past pandemic application season. Although I'm not currently in a clinical psychology program, this podcast is produced with input from people who are, and I will defer to them on matters that only they can answer. As previously stated, I have gone through this process three times and learned crucial lessons with every round. Some fun facts about me are that I minored in English, I have a cat named after a famous author, and I used to be a professional singer. I'm keeping my real name and identity private, as I would like to be as honest as possible for your sake, and I may imply in the future, so I don't want to affect that. This may not always be the case, but for the moment, I would like if you could respect the choice, even if you have an idea of who I might be. I created this podcast really on a whim, after a good complaining session with my friends about how tricky this process can be, and how unless you know someone who's done it or you have a great mentor, it can feel like you are being thrust into a sea of unknown unknowns. I love podcasts, but have never made one before. And right now I'm the only one doing the recording, writing and editing. So I'll be learning along the way and hopefully improving as we go. There can also be a lot of gatekeeping in this area due to how competitive the program is. I mean, we know it's what, one to 7% acceptance rate on a good year? And this year has been, well, (laughs) I really dislike this mentality, and I think it creates an uneven playing field for a lot of people, including first-generation applicants. I just want to pass along everything I've learned, as well as many stories and experiences of others along the way. With all this being said, this podcast should only be part of your research into clinical psychology programs. I mean, come on, you're a psychology hopeful, so I know you know that always go for multiple sources. I will also try to link where I got my information from in the description of the episode if possible so you can go through them and come to your own informed conclusions. I'm also hopefully working on transcripts to help with accessibility as well. There is no way I will be able to cover every nuance of the process and I won't personally be able to cover the very specific barriers that you may face. I come from the perspective of a white cis woman with a disability And because of this, I will be doing my best to amplify other voices and direct you to resources made by absolutely wonderful creators of all backgrounds. 
I will also be reading listener letters sent to the podcast email clinicallypsychedpod at gmail.com, and I'm inviting you to send your stories, advice, cautionary tales, and letters of encouragement. It doesn't matter if you're an undergrad, you've already applied, you're in grad school, you're a professor, or even an admissions counselor. You don't even have to be in clinical psychology. You could be someone who considered it, but found a better fitting route that you'd like to share as an option, which is what this episode will be about. Each episode will end with a note of encouragement to the future scientists listening to this podcast, and we would love it if you could pass one along. Again, our email is clinicallypsychedpod at gmail.com. This podcast will also be focused on the North American system, more specifically focusing on Canada, but a lot of this information will be universally helpful. I also wanted to include this amazing tweet we got in response to starting this podcast, which is from Ariana Khan on Twitter at A-R-I-A-N-A-C-A-H-N, and I hope I got that right. She said, I feel like if you can make an entire podcast series dedicated to the application process of a single degree, the application process is too complicated. And wow, the insight, chef's kiss, unbelievable. you want to be a clinical psychologist. Congrats! Being a psychologist is extremely rewarding. But also, why on earth do you want to be a clinical psychologist? It's got a lower acceptance rate than med school. It requires a full PhD or PsyD to practice. If you hate research, well, you won't exactly love it. You have to write the GRE. You have to volunteer on top of a heavy course load. You have to get amazing grades. You, Okay, I'm only partially joking here. Honestly, if you're going into clinical psych, you better start getting really good at explaining why this program is for you. Not just to your friends and family, but to potential supervisors and programs who genuinely want to know if you're dedicated enough to get through a difficult and often grueling education. You can spend close to a decade in graduate school writing exams, doing internships, on top of your undergraduate degree. It's a huge portion of your 20s, and you have to be prepared to spend that time working very hard. That being said, there are good and bad reasons to go into psychology. Some bad reasons, according to the APA article, Are You on the Right Path? by Dr. Alice G. Walton, include the following. Number one, you just want to help people. I totally get this one. Who doesn't want to help people? It seems like a necessary prerequisite to becoming a clinical psychologist. The thing is, there are plenty of other careers that let you accomplish this goal without sacrificing six years of your life. Depending on your interests, skill set, population you want to work with, You have a plethora of choices, and I encourage you to investigate each one seriously. Number two, you can't find a job. You are not guaranteed a job in academia once you get a PhD. There just isn't enough room. It might also be an expensive choice depending on your program. Luckily, clinical psychology, as opposed to some other degrees, lets you work in a multitude of settings. So there's one silver lining. Number three, it's the next logical step. Remember your behavioral economics class. Just because you've invested time in academia does not mean that you need to keep going. Robert Biswas Diner, PhD, a psychology instructor at Portland State University, dropped out twice because of what he calls the momentum factor. He now encourages you to talk to graduate students and professors about their experiences and career paths, and you know what? I do too. 
Number four, money. The fact is, the majority of clinical psychologists are not famous. You are probably not going to be the next Dr. Phil, even though, oh my god, do we need a better Dr. Phil than Dr. Phil? But that's a rant for another time. Starting jobs in academia do not pay enough, in my opinion. And if you look up how much they make at your university, you might be a little more thankful that they're teaching you. According to Dr. Walton, who wrote the article I'm getting most of my information from for this segment, over three quarters of people coming out of clinical or counseling doctorate programs are in debt. Yikes, and by the looks of it, it can be in the tens of thousands. If you're going into an unfunded PsyD, well, it can be up to hundreds of thousands between living costs and tuition. Now, clinical psychologists can make good money, but understand that this is not a guarantee of the degree. I would recommend looking at the average income levels for the different types of psychologists in your state or province for a more accurate look. Many psychologists also have multiple streams of revenue, from academic jobs to practice to writing books and even podcasting. Number five, you want to understand yourself. You might just start to understand yourself and who you are as a person when going through a graduate degree. You might also do this by reading a ton of books, joining a sports team, or just with time. The thing with this level of maturity is that you can get it without a PhD, I promise you. Also, therapists have therapists too. Sometimes you are not the best person to figure yourself out because you're too busy being yourself. Meta. So you might be thinking, oh, are there any good reasons then? Well, yeah, of course there are. Good reasons. I'm passionate about research in this area, and I'm really good at it. It fits my skill set, my career goals, and I'm willing and ready to sacrifice the things I need to sacrifice, and I'm able to work very hard to get there. Other than that, there may be very specific reasons that you yourself are interested in the program or the field. Perhaps you know that there aren't enough psychologists out there who look like you and that you bring an important perspective to the field. Just be prepared to articulate them well. In fact, I advise you to keep a notebook or a document where you put down your graduate school research. I want you to write down the reasons why you want to go into this program. Have them handy. They'll be really neat to have when you're writing your statement. Here's a bit of free counseling. I also want you to find your big whys. Your big whys are the goals that go beyond a specific degree or path. These can be things like, I want to diversify psychology, or I want to help destigmatize schizophrenia, and yes, maybe even I want to help people. Um, that's, not a, that's not a terrible statement. These goals that you can reach multiple ways allow for a bit more flexibility. It can feel really awful to hinge your life on a degree that doesn't end up working out for you. If your goal stretches beyond that one paper, that one degree, that one job, you'll be better at not sweating the small stuff and finding alternatives. What's that saying? Pet the sweaty, don't sweat the petty? There you go. Graduate school will provide you with rejections and disappointments. For some of you, this might be the first time you're experiencing them. Like me, you could be the person with A's on their transcript and publications to your name, and you still might not make the cut. Nietzsche once said, a person with a why can withstand any how. Someone way wiser than me taught me about your big whys, and although I can't share your name here, thank you.
So you've come up with your reasons for going into clinical psychology. I suppose you also may want to know exactly what you're getting into. This next section of today's show may be a bit of review for those who have already done a little bit of research about this, but I'm going to break down the different types of psychology and psychology-related degrees. You might find one of these options interesting that you hadn't considered before. I will also be talking to some people who considered clinical psychology, but found something that suited their needs better. Full disclosure, I've met some of them, and they are some of the most intelligent people I know, and I really think you're going to enjoy hearing their stories. Let's start with the basics. What is a clinical psychologist? For this section, I'll be consulting an article from the Canadian Psychological Association by Christy Wright, PhD, from the University of Regina. The CPA website is also telling me that apparently February is psychology month, so happy psychology month. I will be reading a bit of the article verbatim now because it sums up clinical psychology beautifully. Dr. Wright, you got it right. Quote, psychology is a scientific discipline with many different areas of application. Clinical psychology is a field of practice that deals with human functioning, either human problems and their solutions, as well as with the promotion of physical, mental, and social well-being. Clinical psychologists have varied training experiences and different areas of expertise. Clinical psychologists treat many human problems, including depression, anxiety, stress, major mental disorders, learning disabilities, substance abuse, and other addictions, marital-slash-relationship problems, difficulties coping with personal health problems, and problems stemming from physical and sexual abuse. Clinical psychologists provide services to children and adults, including the elderly, and work on physical as well as mental health issues. Generally, clinical psychologists conduct psychological assessments, often employing standardized tests, and provide treatment of adults, adolescents, children, couples, families, and groups. They also provide consultations to other professionals, for example, physicians, nurses, teachers, social workers, and occupational therapists, and provide programs designed to serve special populations, for example, community independent living programs and learning slash disability programs, even things like pain clinics. Teaching and research are also common activities. Most clinical psychologists restrict their practice to specific populations such as children or adults. End quote. Thanks, Dr. Wright. Clinical psychologists basically mainly deal with psychopathology in research, teaching, diagnosis, and treatment. Many stay in academia and become professors, some practice psychology with clients, and some do a mixture of both. Now, how do you become a clinical psychologist? In North America, you generally have two routes, the PhD and the PsyD. Some provinces may allow you to practice as a psychologist with a master's degree, but this is rare. A PhD is usually made up of a master's program that leads into a PhD. Many programs expect you to stay for the entire degree, so you usually consider yourself applying to a PhD when you apply. A master's program is usually one to two years, and the PhD segment ranges from four years to, well, more than four years. Usually programs will have the information on how many years it has taken previous students to complete the program, along with great info on how many go on to become licensed, etc. on their websites. These degrees are usually funded, meaning you will not have to pay too much towards tuition. Affordable. Nice. A PsyD, or a Doctorate of Psychology, is a program that originated in the 70s. 
It's usually said to have a heavier focus on the clinical rather than research aspects of the degree, although they usually do have a research component, especially if they do provide funding. Some have a heavy research aspect. I wouldn't assume you get out research-free by taking this route. Some may have a higher acceptance rate, but this is quickly changing as they gain more popularity. CITES are usually not funded and can be very expensive. They take roughly four to six years to complete. After which, both degrees will usually require an internship, and then you'll go on to study for and pass whatever licensing exam is required where you would like to practice. Alternatively, you may want to become a psychologist through a counseling psychology degree. What is a counseling psychologist? So first off, there is a difference between a counselor and a counseling psychologist. The difference starts with the type of certification and education you require to practice and ends with the scope of work you can do with your degree. I got a lot of information from this section from an article on the website Very Well Mind by Kendra Cherry and Dr. Stephen Gans and the scopeofpracticepolicy.org website. As a disclaimer, I am less familiar with the following careers than I am with clinical psychology, and such I won't be going quite as in-depth as I did in the previous section. I just want to give you a general feel for them, and I encourage you, as per usual, to do your own in-depth research if something here sparks your interest. If you are a professional in one of these fields and would like to share a bit more about what you do with our audience, please send us an email. So counselors deal with a host of issues, including human development, relationship and emotional issues, community and multicultural issues, and career counseling. Typically, there is less of a focus on diagnosis of psychopathology and more of a focus on dealing with life issues a client may face. They are also able to practice psychotherapy. You might find a counselor in a school or career setting, although they're in a multitude of settings, while counseling psychologists mainly work in medical or mental health clinics. How does one become a counselor? To become a counselor, one might obtain a counseling master's degree, which takes two to three years to complete. These are sometimes done through a school's education department, meaning the degree is a master's of education, or it's under a general counseling MA or MCA master of counseling program. You may decide to specialize in a certain area of practice, which will typically require more education and even perhaps different licensing. However, some may choose to continue to a PhD, PsyD, or Doctor of Education, becoming a counseling psychologist. This PhD route takes about as long as a PhD in clinical psychology. Counseling psychologists are also able to do assessments and use diagnostic tools. If you want to go on to do a doctoral degree, make sure the master's program you choose is one geared towards continuing an education, which might include the completion of a research project, which may be a requirement for doctoral programs. A doctorate degree will also usually have a heavy research component, as per usual, and you have the option to continue in research or pursue teaching as well. Both options will require you to do a supervised practicum and become licensed to practice, though the type of licensing required depends on where you live. The licensing for counseling versus something like psychotherapy can vary widely, so it's important to do your research before entering the field. As an aside, depending on where you live, terms like therapist and even counselor may not be regulated, so be careful when seeking out a mental health professional for yourself. Counseling psychologists and clinical psychologists do some of the same things, but there is a difference. While both a clinical and counseling psychologist may have clients who experience mental illness, 
A clinical psychologist is usually the one to have a greater emphasis on psychopathology. Clinical psychologists typically deal more with things like the diagnosis and treatment of disorders. I know that that was a lot of information thrown at you quite quickly, but I promised I'd try to make this very info-heavy episode a little bit more fun. Future episodes will be less dense, I promise, but there are so many careers to cover, which is only good news in terms of the number of options you have. To add a little spice and discuss the world of counseling with us, I've invited Sierra to join us today. Hi, Sierra. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Of course. I'm so happy to be here. So starting off, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, and the program that you're currently in? Of course. So I'm currently in an MED program uh, for counseling psychology. Um, It's in the field of counseling and psychotherapy. So it's kind of a long title. But yeah, I got into psychology more so in like, I would say my university years. It's actually funny. I like started university thinking I would go into more like physical health care, but I just found I really liked psychology. Um, I loved being a helper. So it just kind of seemed like really aligned with what I like to do. And yeah, I mean, my experience, I pursued a bio psych major in my undergrad and got a bit of a taste for a lot of different potential fields for working. But I found what I really liked most about going into psychology was really just the opportunity to connect with people. And that was my main driving force. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I just became super interested in like psychotherapy, danced around with clinical psych, obviously, which is the theme of this podcast, and and other avenues. And I just found like as much as I enjoyed doing research and I was good enough to get through school with doing different forms of research, I just really liked the the connection piece, getting to share space with someone was always what I was most inspired by. So I just thought, why not just go into what I know I like to do and go and pursue just school to be able to become a psychotherapist. So that's what I'm doing, kind of my long-winded answer. (laughs) (laughs) No, and that's such a beautiful way of putting it. I love the being able to share a space with somebody like, oh, so poetic. Yeah, Yeah, like, (laughs) I don't know. I just found that I've always been a very like academic person. I'm from a family that really pushes that as well. So it was kind of hard to let go of that because so much of my experience in school, I found the department really pushes for like going into research, I guess just being very ambitious, which is not a bad thing. But I kind of had to take a step back and be like, okay, I could go all the way and go become a doctor and that would feel awesome to have that title. But what is it that I really want to do? And would that be the best use of my lifetime? So yeah, I just found that it was like a way better fit for me. And hey, if I change my mind, school is always there. But (laughs) that's true. School is always there. Yeah. (laughs) So can you tell me a little bit about what the best parts of your program are? 
Totally. I honestly feel like I'm really enjoying kind of every aspect of it. Like, first of all, it's my first experience in grad school in general. And the environment is just, it's so different from undergrad. It's not, at least in my program, it's not about competing with other people. It's really about just sharing experiences and sharing like what everyone brings to the table. And I've learned that it's very different. I'm sure that when they select, like the selection committee makes the choices for that year, they keep these types of things in mind, but it's really people from a lot of different backgrounds, which is really fantastic to kind of network and get to know. And my program itself, it's just very, I don't know, you just get to experience a lot of different things. I have a course that's more like theoretical, but I also have a lot of courses that are more application based. So you can really customize like what you want to get into. You have like a few requirements, but a lot of it is flexible. So if you want to take a course on a specific modality that's interesting to you, there's options for that. If you want to look at family therapy, group therapy, kind of whatever you want to get an introduction to and get like practice in, it's very flexible for that. So I've really enjoyed it. And all of my profs so far have been really awesome. Like Good. very approachable. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I just really enjoyed the experience. You really become close with your classmates. Like, and I can even say from my experience doing it online, I can't imagine what it would be like to do it in person because you already get so much of that online. Like you're practicing with your peers, different techniques. You're doing like group therapy with your peers, potentially. It's like you get, (laughs) you get to know each other very well. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. So when, I guess, how did you find this program and how did you know that it was the right fit for you? So honestly, to put it very bluntly, I kind of knew myself and I knew what I did and didn't want to do. (laughs) Um, I saw a lot of my friends go through kind of uh, the nightmare that is the GREs and... I was like, what can I do with my degree that doesn't involve me having to study on my independent time for an exam? And um, I didn't do a thesis, so what programs do I, can I apply to without a thesis as well? And I just found this program and it was really interesting to me because you could customize it so you can do, like you can apply to like specialized programs within this program if you want like a specialized focus on let's say like feminist issues or if you want a specialized focus on like global mental health there's I don't have a specialization but I just thought that that was cool (laughs) yeah it gives you options yeah and I just honestly it was competitive to apply but I wanted to go with a program that I felt I would be really happy with yeah So I actually only applied to this one program and got in because amazing. it worked out that I got in, but I just mean like, I didn't want to apply to programs that I didn't feel sold on. Yeah, it can be expensive too. Exactly. And it's like, I don't want to like stress over applications for a school that wouldn't make me super happy to go to. So honestly, like I just have the mentality that like if I get in that's awesome and if I don't I'll do something else for a year and yeah I just 
so that's kind of like what happened. I ended yeah. up getting in, which is great. And yeah, I've been really, really enjoying the program so far. Uh, I'm so happy to hear that. I think it takes a lot of maturity to be able to look at yourself and go, this is what I need from a program. Honestly, it sounds like I had all the maturity in making that decision, but really, like, it was hard to kind of rewire my brain not to, like, because very much the way I approach things is, like, I want all of my bases covered. That's always been my mentality, but I just find, like, it's exhausting to monitor so many different possibilities. I've just kind of have been practicing, like, how do I become more in touch with myself and what makes me happy? And like, even if that's acknowledging that this is what's making me happy for the moment and like, I might change in where I want to go later on in life, you got to kind of pick a direction that feels comfortable and just kind of see what happens. Wow, I feel like I just got free therapy. No! (laughs) (laughs) All of this sounds like very put together now, but you're not you're missing out on like the weeks of anxious pacing and like phone calls to my mom. (laughs) 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 Like that happened and still happens all the time for context. (laughs) (laughs) I guess kind of finishing off, do you have any words of advice for somebody who was in the place you were um, looking at their future deciding where they wanted to go, feeling those kind of external pressures? Yeah, I would say like, it's hard to know what to do. And what I've learned so far is that kind of no one really knows what they want to do. It's such a big looming question. So try to kind of normalize that experience within yourself, normalize the anxious, awkward time of life that it is. And I would honestly recommend really try on what different possibilities to be able to see what feels right for you. It's easy to get caught up in like what other people want from you, especially if you're kind of a high achiever. It's easy to just assume that you have to go with like the big, most ostentatious job you could think of. But like really like think about what do you want to wake up and do every day? Like what makes you happy? What what type of balance do you want between work and, and your other life? Mm-hmm. They're big questions you won't be able to answer right now, but if you kind of give yourself compassion to really explore those options and be okay with whatever happens, I think that that's the kindest, best thing you can do for yourself because you won't have all the answers right at the onset. You kind of have to go out and explore a bit. So yeah, just try and like, it sounds cheesy, but just do what feels right and, and do what feels like, I don't know, is the most you in the end. Oh, that is so beautiful, Sierra. (laughs) Thanks so much, Sierra. So back to some of our career options, one of which is a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist is someone who has completed medical school to become an MD that has then gone on to specialize in psychiatry. They deal with both the psychological and biological aspects of mental illness. They are also able to prescribe and manage the medication of an individual. Some psychiatrists may provide a level of counseling, 
but mainly focus on medication and refer psychotherapy out to another practitioner such as a clinical psychologist, an MSW, a counselor, etc. You will have to go through learning about the entire body to become a psychiatrist, which means you should be skilled and interested in biology and maybe even chemistry if you would like to become an MD. Medical school can also be very expensive. Doctors can earn quite a bit, but that's again, not a guarantee. And between the MD and your specialization, prepare to spend quite a long time in schooling, the same or even more as getting a PhD. In England, you don't actually have to have an undergrad to go into medical school, which is something to consider if you're still in high school listening to this. You also have the option of obtaining a social work degree, such as an MSW, a Master's of Social Work. You can then become licensed under whatever regulatory body governs your area, such as becoming an RSW, Registered Social Worker in Ontario, or an LCSW. According to socialworklicensure.org, social workers also learn about social policy, welfare, ethics, communities, which can contribute greatly to an individual's life and therefore their mental health. They really do provide a wide range of social service support and help clients manage things like emotional, mental, and social health. Social workers may help with job placements, living arrangements, and other needs of individuals, families, or communities. An MSW is a very flexible degree that lets you specialize and work in a multitude of areas such as non-for-profit and even medical sectors. You can also specialize in something along the lines of clinical counseling practice and provide psychotherapy. This is really only scratching the surface on social workers who can be experts and so useful in so many numerous areas. An MSW is truly a fantastic and important degree. And okay, I just really love social workers. I'm here to give some social workers some love today. They're amazing. They help communities in so many ways. I love you guys. So an MSW program will typically take one to two years to complete. There are a few other master's programs that involve being able to do counseling work that you might be interested in. I found this list from transformationcounseling.com, which is an Ontario-based counseling practice, but had some really great info. These are including, but not limited to, the MSW, which is the most common designation of therapists and also the most commonly covered by benefits. You can also get an MSc, a Master's of Science in Couple and Family Therapy. There are also other couple and family therapy degrees. It's a great one. If you are interested in spirituality, you might consider an MDiv, a Master of Divinity. As well, there's an RP, a Registered Psychotherapist. Registered Psychotherapist, in order to become one, I would look into your area's regulatory body and find a list of certified programs because these can really vary widely in both length and cost. As I record this, I keep finding more and more and more career options. I've come to the realization that there is no way I will be able to cover them all with the detail that they truly deserve. I may do another episode on careers in psychology in the future, but for now, here's a few rapid-fire options based off courses you may have enjoyed in your undergrad. If you loved brain and behavior class, you may consider becoming a clinical neuropsychologist. According to med.unc.edu, you can conduct evaluations looking at things like cognitive issues after brain or CNS injury or disease. You may study aging, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, etc. 
you can also help people adapt and maybe even heal from trauma to the brain. Doing research in this area seems really interesting to me personally. We are nowhere near completely understanding the brain, and if you have a passionate curiosity for the link between tissue and function, this one is for you. As such, you should be comfortable with biology, chemistry, and maybe a little bit of math. You will usually need to go through a specialized master's PhD program that takes anywhere from four to six years, but realistically six. If you like working with children and educators and enjoy developmental psychology classes, maybe consider becoming a school psychologist, helping kids succeed academically and helping schools support them best. This may be an option if you were previously considering child clinical psychology. After a look into the National Association of School Psychologists website, I've gleaned that you will gain insight into different learning and developmental disorders alongside therapies, crisis response, encouraging diversity support, as well as ethics, and so much more. As a warning, you may also have to deal with parents, which could either be a positive or a negative depending. Good people skills will be handy. Schools are also not the only place you can work. Residential clinics, hospitals, and juvenile justice programs are all viable options. You will need a specialist level or doctorate degree to practice. If research and statistics are your favorite parts of psychology, a career as an experimental psychologist may be right for you, which will probably require a master's or a doctorate. You can also have the flexibility to work in many subfields with this degree, always keeping it exciting. If social psychology was your thing, IO psychology is great, industrial organizational psychology. It's good if you are interested in human behavior in workplace settings. The APA suggests that you will be able to identify training needs, design and optimize work life, evaluate program effectiveness, coach employees, and assess consumer slash marketing strategies. This is a great option if you've also considered going to business school. As an aside, they can be paid really well. You can go into research and teaching in fields of cognitive science, social science, and neuroscience, pretty much any area you took a course in. Talk to your favorite professor about options in academia. You can become a psychometrist, 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 I'm going to go with psychometrist, to administer psychological and neuropsychological tests under the supervision of a psychologist or neuropsychologist. The training for this profession ranges from a bachelor's degree to a master's to a certification in psychometrics. One interesting route is becoming a psychiatric nurse or a nurse practitioner, or even a nurse in general, taking care of patients with behavioral and mental health needs. You will be able to assess symptoms, take health backgrounds, and provide appropriate therapy. In some areas, you may be able to prescribe medicine and work independently from a hospital. You should start with a Bachelor's of Science in Nursing and move on to a Master's of Science in Nursing and potentially a Doctor of Nursing practice to become a nurse practitioner. If you have an interest in biology and physiology, this is a fantastic route. To talk a little bit more about the field of nursing, I've invited Trey to speak with us. Hi, Trey. Hello. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on to the show. Of course. I'm happy to be here. So to start off, I guess, could you tell me a little bit about yourself and the program that you're currently in? So I'm currently in my second year of a two-year fast-track nursing program at York University. So it's the um, York University second entry nursing program. Um, essentially, the way the program works is if you've completed at least two years of an undergraduate program, you can apply. Um, so essentially what they do is they credit 
your previous years of undergrad experience to shorten the duration of your nursing program, because typically a Bachelor of Science in Nursing, a BSCN, is a four-year program. Mm-hmm. So you can actually go into it right out of high school. But for me, who already went through four years of psychology, um, decided I didn't want to do another four years. So the two-year advance track was uh, really appealing. Um, So that's the program I'm in now. And essentially the way it works is it's um, six consecutive semesters. So you're essentially doing three years in the span of two. Um, And at the end of it, you graduate with uh, BSCN. Uh, You write your entrance exams, so your NCLEX and your jurisprudence exam, and you're a registered RN. Yeah, it's it's quite the experience, I will say. I've been loving it. Um, It is a lot of work with few breaks, but, uh, you know, my logic is get in there, you know, work hard, and it'll pay (laughs) off in the end. So, and so far, you know, it is. So happy to, happy to have chosen it. Oh, that's great. What's, what's the best part of your program? What you say? Oh, God. The best part, um, I personally love the hands-on experience. And that's actually something that pulled me away from psychology and pulled me towards nursing. So I guess for a little bit of history, when I was in, um, you know, getting into my upper years in undergrad, so my third and fourth year of psych, I was starting to weigh my options. And I came to the realization that um, in psychology, it, it tends to be you either fall into research or you fall into um, you know, becoming a clinical psychologist. And as I got up in my years, I realized that neither of those um, appealed to me as much as I thought they had. So mm. I started looking for other avenues and I actually um, knew somebody in undergrad who was at uh, at Queens for their advanced uh, standing nursing program. And I remember them talking about how much uh, they really loved, you know, that combination of theory and practice or <laughs> praxis. Look, I learned something, everybody. I learned something in nursing school. <laughs> um, that, that kind of synergy of, of theory, that theoretical and practical element that I really, really loved that I felt like I wasn't getting from psychology. And so I started, you know, researching the programs and, that's essentially what brought me to nursing was sort of that lack of a hands-on experience. And that's what I've loved so much about this program is being able to actually go out to hospitals and, you know, practice nursing with real people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of that mutual learning both, you know, obviously me helping to educate my clients about, you know, what's going on with them, what their treatment options are, what their care options are, but also learning from them and learning how to be a better care provider from your client. Because ultimately, and this is something that they really, really drive home in the program is nursing is all about client-centered care. So really learning from your client what their um, treatment outcome goals, what their, you know, personal values, beliefs, what their faith is, how they view healthcare, how they view ev- like every aspect of, of, of health and wellness. And that's been a really, really rewarding and valuable experience to me. And that's probably personally what has been most incredible about the program. Oh, that's so nice to hear. It's so nice to hear someone who's really excited about where they're heading. <laughs> I, I 
it's it's been a long time coming, but I'm I'm happy to say that I'm finally in that place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that you will specialize in a certain area later on? I've considered a few areas. So the nice thing about the program is each semester. Um, you have a clinical component, so you're actually in a clinical placement every term, so fall, winter, summer. Uh, and I've had a chance to do a variety of things. So I've had a chance to do long-term care, uh, rehabilitation. Uh, we did community nursing, and we're now currently in our mental health placement. And that has been really wonderful in helping me figure out what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So right now, we're in the mental health, and that's kind of the one I was waiting for because I was waiting to see, you know, if that would satisfy my needs, if you will, of that like theoretical, logical um, knowledge that I gained from my undergrad and if that would draw me to the clinical element of psychology, if you will, and mm-hmm. and um, caring for patients with a wide array of uh, mental illnesses and whatnot. And so far it's been, it's been challenging. That's just sort of the nature of mental health nursing is it's mm-hmm. it's arguably one of the more challenging domains, but at the same time, it is incredibly rewarding. Mm. Um, so I, I, I'm still considering it, but it's, it's again, it's, it's so hard to tell because it's such a short amount of time in these clinicals that you get mm. to sort of get a taste for everything. Um, the other area that I've been really interested in is pediatric nursing. Um, so I actually um, am in the process of applying for a placement in the neonatal intensive care unit, the NICU. We'll see, you know, obviously where I end up, but uh, mental health nursing and pediatric nursing are the two that really speak to me. But going off of that, one of the things that really appealed to me about nursing is that you actually have a lot of flexibility. So, you know, say, for example, I started off working in pediatric nursing, did it for five, maybe 10 years, and then decided I needed to change of scene. It's a really unique profession in that it is easier relative to other healthcare professions to switch up your practice in the sense of transferring from a pediatric unit to maybe a mental health unit. There is a lot of flexibility. So that's something that really appealed as well. And that's something that I carry with me knowing that I write my exams and I step out into the nursing world. I'm not locked into one specific type of nursing. Mm -hmm. I still have those options available to me. And that's really, really wonderful and really, really special about nursing. Yeah, no, I think nursing is an incredible degree. Uh, I definitely have a lot of respect for nurses. You guys work incredibly hard, but it sounds like if they have people like you, they're doing pretty great. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I hope they feel that way too. So I guess we talked a little bit about how you had initially perhaps considered clinical psychology. Yes. What parts of it did you initially like? Something that really appealed to me about clinical psychology was that um, that element of care. I've always been really interested in in healthcare, whether it be, you know, I've considered, I considered the physician route, I considered the nursing route, and mm-hmm. I ultimately chose that one. Um, I considered the clinical psych route, and it it the <laughs> common denominator of all of it is that I wanted a caring profession, and I felt that clinical psych um, offered that, and I was I absolutely loved my undergrad. I loved psychology. I thought it was incredibly fascinating. And I also thought that this uh, exploration into mental health that it gave me was really valuable because coming into it, I didn't even really know what it was. Like I knew, you know, people could um, have depression and have anxiety, but I didn't fully understand that, you know, mental health and mental illness lie on these spectrums as we talk about, and that it's so much more than just, you know, I have X 
diagnosis or disease or illness. And that's kind of the way, you know, I will be for the rest of my life. Like there's so much more to it. And that was a really valuable part of my, my learning um, in that undergrad in psych and what drew me to clinical psych. Going forward a little bit, we talked, you know, just, we touched briefly upon what dissuaded you from continuing in clinical psych. Yeah. Um, were there any other reasons why it, it just didn't work out for you in that sense? Besides really missing that um, sort of more hands-on aspect of health, I guess another thing that kind of dissuaded me too was at times some of the content felt too close to home. Mm. Um, when I was in undergrad, I um, was dealing with a lot of really bad anxiety um, and, you know, like the whole array of like panic attacks and mm -hmm. and all that fun stuff. And I think part of it for me, and even it's something that still makes me question whether or not mental health nursing is right, is that it is close to home. It's also very, it can, I obviously am speaking from my own observations, not from experience, but mm -hmm. it, it's definitely a profession that can be really draining and taxing, I think, on your own mental health. And I think that something that sort of drew me away from it was me questioning whether or not I had that resilience at the time. And I think that at the time of making the decision, I was feeling as though I didn't feel like that was something I could do for the rest of my life. I really wanted to do something where I felt like I could stick with it because I really don't like giving up. So I think, yeah, that personal connection, which funny enough drew me to psychology is also sort of what dissuaded me a bit from pursuing clinical psychology. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for, for sharing that with me. Of course. Um, yeah. Uh, would you have any other advice to somebody who was in your situation, in your position, trying to figure out what to do with their lives, what to do with grad school? Is there Are there any considerations that you would tell somebody to consider? So I think something really important, especially if um, you know, if it was me speaking to my little undergrad psych me <laughs> is realize that there are a lot of ways that you can pursue your passion for psychology and for mental health and, you know, caring for those with mental illnesses beyond clinical psych. I'm obviously not trying to talk people away from it, but <laughs> if you if you ever do feel sort of stuck, know that there are a lot of options and a lot of different career opportunities that will still give you that quasi-clinical psych experience, like I mentioned, for example, in the mental health nursing, something that we've been taught is the importance of our nursing dialogue. And, you know, we pull from, we pull from CBT, we, we sort of steal from psychology and we pull from <laughs> CBT and we pull from relaxation therapies and, and we pull a lot from psychology and work that into our practice. There's a lot of really valuable, valuable um, information and theories and techniques from psychology that we do pull, it still sort of satisfies that passion I had for psychology. So just know that you do have options and really listen to your gut and choose something that you know that is going to make you um, feel happy and feel fulfilled at the end of the day, even if it may be draining at times, because realistically, any profession will be draining in its own unique way. So really tune into what resonates with you and what will bring you that sense of fulfillment. I could not have said it better myself. Um, you pretty <laughs> much just summed up the point of this entire episode. So I uh, clearly, clearly you are a fantastic, a fantastic guest to have. And thank you. Thank you so much for for hanging out with us today. 
Thank you so much for having me. I, I was so stoked to be on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're stoked to have you and you are welcome back anytime. I also recommend looking at some of the professions that work very closely with psychologists in the area you're interested in. For example, if you have an interest in sexual psychology, you may want to look into becoming a pelvic floor physiotherapist. If you love working with kids, maybe you would be an amazing teacher or speech pathologist or personal support worker. If you love the work environment of a clinic or a hospital, perhaps consider becoming a mental health admin specialist. Don't be limited by the field of psychology especially if your real motivation is to help people or be involved in healthcare. There are so many domains of health and wellness that may impact a person's mental health. Revisit the biopsychosocial model for some inspiration. We didn't cover international degrees and options today, and we will touch on them in a later episode, such as the Declan Sci in England. If you are an international listener, perhaps you found some of these options interesting if you're considering coming to North America for your degree. Episodes in the following weeks will also be helpful to you, including interview tips and writing CDs. Okay, let me catch my breath. Uh, We made it to the end of today's episode. I really hope you learned something or maybe gained a new appreciation for someone in your life who has one of these careers. The biggest takeaway I want you to have today is that you have options. Clinical psychology is not the be-all and end-all, and it is certainly not a failure to go into another field, quite the opposite. It takes maturity to find the program that suits your learning style, budget, and goals. The worst thing would be to hinge your success or worth as a person on a degree, especially one that may not be for you. Be the absolute best in the field you're the absolute best at. You will have such a huge impact. Thank you also for bearing with me when it came to sound in this episode. I know some areas were inconsistent or jumpy, and I want to apologize for that. I had to move my setup around a few times, but I think we're going to have a really good system going for next week. Every week, I would really like to end the episode with a note of encouragement for everyone going through the application process. We hear enough rejection and negativity as it is, and not enough praise for going through what is a seriously tough time. Since this is our first week, your letter's coming from me. So hello, you lovely, intelligent people who are learning what it takes to go into clinical psychology. If you make it through any step of the application process, you are doing great. I'm proud of you. You don't hear how proud people are of you as often as you deserve, and I'm going to say it again for emphasis. I'm proud of you for being the person you are at this very moment, without the degree or the grants or whatever else you're applying for. Nothing about this is easy, not even choosing clinical psychology versus other careers. Every barrier you get through is one someone else looked at and said, this is too hard. I'm rooting for you on this journey because psychology needs new voices like yours. I hope you find the best possible program fit and that you're not discouraged by some of the grim stats you may hear. On Twitter, Professor Patricia Mannix McNamara wrote, Don't give up. You will find the right one with people who recognize your potential and you will think, gosh, I'm so glad now. It feels tough now, but even the most successful academics have a few rejections along the way. 
sending you best wishes. You got this. Love, Cass. Clinically Psyched Pod is a non-for-profit passion project by me, Cass. Music today was number one folk inspiration by Giovanni Bruni. Thanks. <laughs>